The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. The Gospel of our Lord. The words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lead and guide us in all truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew Kelly, in his book, Rediscovering Jesus, starts out with a story of four businessmen who are in New York from another part of the country. So they're there at a business meeting in this building. And if you put on the picture of New York with all the cabs. The meeting ran late. It was a very successful meeting. The four guys come running out of the building, heading across the sidewalk, trying to get into a cab. As they're doing so, one of them knocks over a small fruit stand manned by a very elderly blind woman. So the three guys jump right into the cab. And they're telling the fourth guy, come on, hurry up. We're going to miss our plane. You got to get in the cab now. We're going. And he said, no, you guys go. I'll catch up with you later. So the three guys took off. But that fourth guy stepped back, stood around, went over to the lady, put the table back upright, and picked up what vegetables or fruit could be resold. He apologized to the lady for the incident, and then broke open his wallet, took out a wad of cash, and gave it to her to cover her expenses plus smooth over the whole situation with the table. 
So he turns to walk away and find a cab so he can get to the airport before he misses his plane. And as he turns away, the lady cries out to him, Are you Jesus? He turned around and said, No, I'm not. And she said, Well, I thought maybe you were, because when I was sitting here and the table went over and the fruit went onto the ground and I could hear that, I cried out to Jesus for help. And I thought maybe you were him. Well, the guy was moved by that situation, and of course he got the cab, he went to the hotel, missed his flight, so he had to buy another ticket, had to spend a night in the hotel, and whatever costs that were associated with him delaying by helping this elderly woman. When he sat there that evening pondering to himself a question, which I'm about to ask, if you put that up. When was the last time Someone mistook you for Jesus. When was the last time someone mistook you for being Jesus? There may be a deeper question. Has anybody ever mistaken us for Jesus? It's a very moving story that Matthew goes through in rediscovering Jesus. In the broad narrative of our gospel today, Jesus is on a journey. Previously, he had set his face, as the scripture says in some translation, as flint. He was on his way. He was on a mission to get to Jerusalem. That's what he was after. And as he was going along, a lot of people were following him, trying to just figure out who this guy is, who performs all these miracles, who raises the dead, who feeds 5,000, feeds 4,000, and then this young man comes up to him. Somehow the young man was drawn to Jesus in some manner, some way. Something about this guy, Jesus, he wanted to know about. So he asks him a question. Jesus comes back, responds. And in the end, unfortunately, the man turns away. He just walks away. Following Jesus... There's two parts of the equation in our lives in following him. One is God's calling. It's by his grace that we're called to follow him. But there's also another part of that, and that's that human responsibility part of responding. Responding in faith. Professing our faith and our trust in him to that call that he gives us. He initiates the action by grace, and our response is to follow in that face, faith. So what do we learn from that, this incident with the young man that I think is underneath the text here is that a progression in what's going on with this guy and in his heart and what his thoughts might be. And that progression goes, you might say, from knowing something about God, really being moved in your heart, and then doing something about it. So he asked Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? In other words, what he was asking, what can I do to please God? There's a question not very much different from a young child, maybe asking a father or mother, going to them, if you put the second slide on, because one of our deepest human needs is to be loved. 
and have somebody watch out over us. And when that child extends the hand, he's just saying, Mom, Dad, love me. Take care of me. Watch out for me. Teach me. It's a very deep human need that's being touched. And maybe, perhaps, the young man was thinking that. Doesn't say. We don't know. There's a lot of different stories about this young man, this wealthy young man, uh, in many, many different commentaries. And I can tell you, no two are in agreement as to what was going through this guy's mind. So we're making a, some assumptions here. So what does a response in faith look like? How can we understand it? It looks like first we have an encounter with some knowledge of God. If you can go to the next one, please. We get something in our head. We receive that information. However, it comes into our head by the example of other people, by reading, learning, hearing, whatever it might be. But that information goes in up here. But it's got to move from here to here in the heart for us to have that motivation to follow Jesus. And of course, having it in your heart, having that desire is a good thing, but it's not the end there. You have to take it to the next step and put your hands out there to the plow and get to work. And that's what I think this story illustrates for us, that faith always translates into action, into works, into deeds. If it's not, I really question whether the faith is there. And, and for years I've been against what I believe is called easy believerism. Just have faith. Oh, I got faith. But what do you do with it? And I think there's another part to it, and that's where the hand comes involved. So regardless of how this young man came to the knowledge of Jesus, he had the boldness and the humility to come and ask him a question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the word good in this context is important because he says good teacher. Now, in the Hebrew, the only good is God. There is nothing good. Men, women, they're not good. The only one that's good is God himself. So when this guy says good teacher, he must have known something about Jesus or something that Jesus was doing, saying, or acting out that made him understand that this was a man of God that he's addressing. And he's addressing him with humility and respect, which he should. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, he asked the question. Now, there was a discussion between the two of them. If you go to the next slide. And the next thing that comes up right away is that Ten Commandments. Those commandments that were given to God's people to obey. And there were two parts of them. There was the first part, which is loving God. And there's the second part, which is loving your neighbor and how we walk that out. So Jesus says to the man, well, you know what the word says. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't covet. That part 
the man understood. So he had some basic knowledge. But what the man did not have was the first part of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was missing in the man's life. Essentially, the man thought to, sought to justify himself, almost in an arrogant state, saying that, I've kept all those laws since my youth. Now, whether he was referring to the Ten Commandments, which I don't think he was because he eliminated that first part of loving God first, but he may have been talking about the 613 rules and regulations that were out there implementing the second part of that law in our relationships with each other. Probably he was referring to the latter, I suspect. Again, nobody's really clear on it because nobody was there taking a video or a recording of this whole conversation. But suffice it to say, the man had some knowledge in his head, but he didn't have it in his heart. So how do we get that in our head about who Jesus is and what he's all about? And the only way to do it, you read the book. You're not going to get it any other way. You're going to get it through a lot of different mediums, but you've got to read the book. You've got to know what the scriptures say about Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, and all about him as he walked here on this earth. That's not an easy task. It takes a lot of energy and effort to do it. And just reading a chapter a day isn't going to get you there. The more you put into the understanding of this word, the better you're going to understand our redemption and the better you're going to understand who Jesus is. In the Old Testament, there was a number of times when the prophets were given a scroll and they were told to the prophets, take this scroll and eat it. Now, it doesn't mean you tear out a few pages and swallow it down. What the angel was saying to that prophet, you got to get this in you to the degree that your heart is changed and moved. And that's what's going on here. This young man didn't get that. He missed that step. He did not put it in there. When our knowledge of Jesus grows, our hearts begin to reflect the same heart of Jesus. The evidence of our faith is from our heart expressed in, in Scripture. How does that work? If you go to the next slide. As we grow in the Lord, let's go to the next one, please. We begin manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness. That is the evidence of what we're putting in. And we start changing. We begin to change because our hearts change. And when our hearts change, our actions also start changing. We start following the Lord, and we can see the evidence of this progression. So we see this progression going from the head to the heart. But now that it's in the heart, we don't stop there. The identity, our identity in Jesus means from moving from not just the head to the heart, but also into the hand. And I'll explain that in a minute. How do we know where our heart is at any given time? One illustration I've found is, for example, if your house is burning down, you wake up in the middle of the night, flames around, smoke, all that sort of thing. Obviously, your priority is getting the 
family, everybody out of the house. But then there's certain valuables, certain things that we're attached to that are in that house that we're going to want to take with us. And if you could only take one thing, what would it be? Think about that for a minute. What are you really attached to physically in that house that you would take out if you had time to do it? So that kind of tells us what our priority is. Because there are some people that will leave their family behind and just take some of the things with them that they want to take. It's not unusual. It has happened. Actions or deeds. Caring for others in need. That's where the hand comes in. And that hand that we extend to those in need, just like the illustration with that guy helping the elderly woman, that tells the story. That really is the evidence of the faith. You can have all the faith you want, but if you're not expressing it in the hands, it's not real faith. You may be fooling yourselves. I had a conversation with somebody, and not a member of this church. As far as I know, that person's never been in this church. But I, you know, when I go around town, I give my card out to people, and I get calls. In addition to the three or four hundred robocalls I get every day, I, you know, have to deal with that. But I get calls from people asking questions, because I identify myself, you know, as a pastor in the card. And I was listening to this person, and they, they were searching for some information. And what I was hearing from them was all the Christian lingo. I've been born again. I've been saved. I've been this. I've been that. And all that. You know, and I'm being discipled, and et cetera, et cetera. And what I'm hearing is words. I'm not hearing anything from the heart about a relationship with Jesus. And later on in the conversation, I not only learned there's not much there in the heart, but there's not much there in the hand at all. In fact, if anything, this person is running a severe risk of serious sin and trouble, possibly even being illegal in what they're doing. It was a sad conversation. But nevertheless, I think that person just missed it. They got all the lingo up here, but it hasn't gotten in here. If it doesn't get into here, we don't get moved by desire to serve the Lord in the way that he calls us. So what do we do with the hands? Well, you got to put your hand to the plow. The totality of scripture teaches for all the way from Genesis through Revelation that action, works, and deeds are the evidence of our commitment to God. That's putting the bread on the table. And that's repeated over 17, over 713 times. The hands touching others, helping others, those who are in need. That's putting the bread on the table. Well, the rich young man could not connect the dots to Jesus' invitation. Sell all you have, give to the poor, then follow me. That's a pretty tall order. Um, but nevertheless, what Jesus is saying, I want a total and complete commitment. I'm not looking for a half-baked conversation. I'm not looking for just words, and I'm not looking for a lot of mush and gush from in here. I want truth coming out. And that truth always comes out in the hands. 
and where we're going and what we're doing with it. Hands touching the heart of Jesus. And if we can go to that next slide, please. Wisdom is always proved right by our actions. And as we get very explicit in James, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without deeds. The rich man, young man couldn't quite grasp that. He couldn't deal with it. You know, when I think of you know, the sacrificial giving of many people, sometimes we turn that right into money. But it also means sacrificing yourself and your time, your energy, into other activities, not just here within the church. I, you know, Paul mentioned the call to serve. There's a time to serve here within the body, and that's, we got to do that. We can't operate without it. But on the other hand, we have to have the hand in the community. And that's what springs forth from the heart, serving those in need. Uh, I just, for example, I you know, think of the, the folks that have been involved in Hope Repair. You're actually out there doing what Jesus would do to help somebody else. Fixing the leak in the roof. Turning on the water, which has not been running in six months. Or maybe putting a heater in there, which has not existed in the house in several years. That's helping somebody in need. So that's faith expressing itself in deeds, in action, in works. Now, we can't work our way to God's approval. That's not, that, there's a whole program of that. You can try to earn your salvation. It doesn't work that way. Works come out of faith, not the other way around. Faith really comes out of works. But if you really want to know Jesus, you put your hands to the plow. That's where you really learn what it's like to be like Jesus and perhaps even be mistaken for Jesus. So I think the Hope Repair Pro Program is a reach into our community. We also do a number of reaches into the community and serving the elderly. I thank God for Butch Skinner who has helped us. We moved from one location to add two more locations. We couldn't have done it without him. And some others that have helped us. He's not the only one. There's been others that have helped us out over the past four years. And I think of the Ramies, um, they've been bringing their kids out on Sunday morning, that was before we went to two services, for almost four years. And having those kids in that service was a boost, just for the elderly. Because what those kids were learning in bringing them in there was they come to a worship service to give, not to get. It's a big difference. Now, sometimes when we come into a service, our spiritual tank is pretty empty, and we just need to get something. But that's not what we're here for. We're here to give of ourselves to other people around us. And that's what those kids were doing. And they learned over that almost four years now. You know, we've watched them grow up there. They learned that they come to give, 
not to get. That's a valuable lesson for a little kid to get. Now, I'm not no bones about it. I know John and Mickey, and I know these four little angels aren't exactly perfect angels all the time. They're like any other kids. And of course, now they're growing up into their teen years, which is really going to be fun, <clears throat> as you well know, for those of you that have been through that. It's the most trying time you'll ever go through in your life. Your faith will be tested beyond anything you ever imagined. But God is faithful. He will watch over them. Learn the lesson young. If you go to the next slide, why is it important? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus reduces down the end of everything and what it's going to be like in that judgment day. And on that judgment day, and I would encourage you to read that, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. There's just a paraphrase of it up there. Look it up later on. But in the end, there's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats. And there's nothing in between. You're either going to be on one side or you're going to be on the other. And the criteria that Jesus will be using is that criteria right up there. I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger in the land and you took me in. I was sick, you visited me. Commonly referred to as the corporal works of mercy. That's touching other people from the heart to the hand with the hand doing the work. A couple of weeks ago, Paul mentioned that same passage, a similar passage out of Mark 8. If you can move to that, please, Caleb. Thank you. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. That's where he was going. He was going to the cross. And he expects us to do exactly the same. He's looking for total and complete commitment. How do we know that? How can we figure out what's rattling around in our head or rattling around in our hearts if we're not out there doing it with our hands? Well, flip to the next one, please. We go back to the same basic three. Time, talent, treasure. Those are the three things. If you want to measure your commitment to the Lord, just look at how you spend your time. How you're using the talents and the gifts God has given you. And how you're using your treasure. They're a good checkpoint to go through the head, the heart, and the hand to test out those three. To see what our time, talent, and treasure is doing. So we do have a way of examining ourselves as kind of a spiritual checkup as to where we are and what we're doing. It was a sad thing because when the man heard the words of Jesus, he turned around and walked away. But you know, the fact is, Jesus still loved him. It says it right in there. He still loved this guy. He still loves his people, even when they turn away. So there's always hope out there for the guy. We hope. We don't read about it in Scripture. It's not there. And I don't want to speculate on it, but it's possible. So what we've come from this 
is down to the truth in our own lives. And where is our commitment? What is our commitment to the Lord? Whether it be in our time, talent, or treasure. And how serious is that commitment? Because Jesus is at, he told the guy, go sell everything, give to the poor, and come follow me. Follow me to Jerusalem. Follow me to the cross. You're going to take up a cross and you're going to follow me. That's pretty serious business. It's a serious commitment in serving the Lord. One of the guys who very seriously followed the Lord, John Wesley, summed it up in his covenant prayer, which I would like to pray. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Were we to take that commitment to its nth degree with the head, heart, and hand, we too might be mistaken for Jesus, which is what we're here to do. 